We want to acknowledge that Carleton University and the other locations where we make this podcast are on traditional, unceded Algonquin territory. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Department Podcast. I'm Billy Flynn, and along with my co-host, Phil Primo, we're delighted to bring you episode six of our Storytime Special Edition. Thank you to everyone for sending in your requests and recommendations. In this week's episode, we're going to have uh, something more local, uh, something from uh, my neck of the woods. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. If you or your kids have any stories, short books, poems, etc. that you'd like to hear read aloud by one of us, either myself or Phil, or by both of us, uh, let us know and we'd be happy to read them for you. And uh, just to give you a heads up, we are planning on having some uh, stories narrated in French uh, very soon. So uh, keep an ear open for that. If you want to contact us, you can send us an email at departmentpodcast.ca. You can connect with us on Twitter at departmentpod or just email us through our own emails as well. The book I'm going to read for this episode is a book called The Ghost of Shandon by Alan Corbett. It's actually a, a local story and a local uh, author. Um, the Ghost of Shandon was given to me as a Christmas present by my daughter, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren, if you're listening. And um, it's a graphic novel. It's a beautifully illustrated graphic novel that sort of shows, you know, images of 18th century Cork City, which is where I'm from. Um, so I'm really excited to, to read it. Uh, I think it'll work well in, in narrative form uh, for the purposes of this podcast. Really hope you enjoy it and uh, yeah. 3 p.m. Present day Cork City. The school bell rang and the pupils rushed out the main gates of St. Kevin's. It had been another terrible day at school for Ronan. The pupils ignored him at break time. They made fun of him during class and the teacher wasn't at all happy with his attempts at homework. To make things worse, the horrible Vincent and his gang of tormentors were waiting just outside the school gates for poor Ronan. There he is! Go back to the seaside, Ronan the loner. We don't want your type in our school. Vincent and his friends threw scrumpled paper to poor Ronan, whack, as he ran off down the street alone. Ronan hid away as he usually did after school in St. Peter's Park. Vincent was making Ronan's school life a miserable one and his dad wouldn't be home from work for another hour or so. Ronan tried his best to escape from this horrible reality by reading from his favourite book, The Three Musketeers. Ronan was very lonely. Even though he was living in the middle of a busy and bustling city like Cork, he still felt like the loneliest boy in the world. Things could simply not get much worse. What are you doing here, boy? A graveyard is no place to sit around reading. That was, of course, until Ashling turned up. Surprised, Ronan jumped up and looked at this very strange person. She was a couple of years older than him, with pale white skin and faded clothing. You're no boy, how could you be? No boy I know would be brave enough to play in a graveyard. A fairy you must be. Out fairy, out. There was a ghostly air about her that didn't quite fit in with the park. She looked like she had just stepped out of the book he was reading. Who was this mad girl throwing apples at him? 
Ronan stood up and rubbed his forehead. Did she really believe in fairies? Ow! What did you do that for? You're mad. This is a park, it's not a graveyard. I'm no fairy. My name is Ronan. Who are you anyway? You'll have to prove to me that you're no fairy because you sound like one and you look like one. Do you not have any respect for the dead? Ronan stared at the headstones that lined the wall of St. Peter's Park. He had never taken much notice before, but there was definitely something different about them today. They looked like new, all clean and tidy, unlike the moss-covered and neglected graves he was used to. The lettering was clearly visible too. He looked at one. Charles Bernard passed away August 4th, 1792. Come with me, Ronan the Fairy. The apothecary will know what to do with you. I'm sure you'll get a reward for capturing a mischievous creature like yourself lurking in a graveyard. But what's an apothecary? You've never heard of an apothecary? You are a strange creature. An apothecary is a man who makes potions to cure illness. He'll know all about fairies like you. Ronan didn't have any choice in the matter as Ashling took him by the hand and marched him down the narrow alley that led beyond St. Peter's Church. Ronan broke free of Ashling's hand and ran out onto nearby North Main Street. He stopped still in shock. Everything had changed. Tall chimneys rose into the sky above thatched and purple-tiled rooftops. Oddly dressed men in colourful cloaks talked with strange foreign accents. Women in shawls scurried about carrying baskets of bread from the busy market stalls and the children played barefoot on the muddled cobble street. Smells of buttermilk and burning turf waded through the air. And Ronan couldn't believe his eyes as a man on horseback rode up the street. Don't try to run away from me, Ronan the fairy. Come along with me to the apothecary of Victor Wolf. He'll know what to do with you. Ronan and Ashling approached the tall, gloomy building of the apothecary. It was damp and dark inside. The blue windows made it feel like the inside of a glass bottle. Jars with cocktails of all colours and textures glinted on every shelf. Stark, white, staring animal skulls hung from the ceiling. Behind the counter, with his scientific instruments and equipment, lurched the master apothecary himself. Hello, Mr. Wolf. I have something extraordinary to tell you. I found a fairy. Here he is. I captured him in St. Peter's Park when he was reading a book. Do you have a reward for my bravery? Victor Wolf crouched down and inspected Ronan's eyes and mouth. His beady yellow eyes studded Ronan's face and his long nails pressed into the boy's skull. Ronan could hardly breathe with the strong smell of vinegar that came from Wolf. My, my young Ashling, the maid, it looks like you found a fine specimen of a fairy. For you see, a changeling is a fairy that hides itself in the body of a human. Tell me, does he have a name? Can he even talk? Of course I can talk. My name is Ronan and I told Ashling already I'm no fairy. I was born and raised at Ardnakinna Lighthouse in Castleton Bear. Four days after my eighth birthday, the lighthouse was closed down and myself and my dad had to move into Cork City. I don't belong here. I belong in the 21st century. Oh, a time-travelling fairy, is it? That's a new one. And does our present time not please you? You would rather be anywhere than 1792, is that right? Well then, you can drink this foxglove tea to prove to us that you are no fairy. Foxglove tea? But what if it's poisonous? I'm not drinking that. Please listen to me. I'm not a fairy. Look, I belong in the 21st century. Where I come from, nobody believes in fairies anymore. Please, you must help me go home. Just as I suspected, you won't drink the foxglove tea, so you must be a fairy after all. Be wary of this one, Ashling. Come on now, do tell us more of this supposed fairy time-travelling of yours from the 21st century. Ronan tried again to explain and describe the Cork City he had come from. He talked about the cars and buses, phones, computer, TVs and MP3 players. Ashling and Wolf were amazed at what Ronan described. They'd never heard of such things. Well, Ronan the fairy, 
I think I believe you, but I'm afraid I still have some very bad news for you. If you really have traveled back in time, there's no way for you to return. Unless that is, of course, you believe in the legend. What legend? The legend goes that to travel out of this time, a fairy needs three things. Firstly, a drop of an ancient potion made from the water of the Dead Sea. This must fall on the keys to the city, which must be then turned in the city's oldest doors, where Cork began in the 7th century, at St. Finbar's Cathedral. The name of the potion is Artesian, and it must come all the way from Constantinople. It is said to give metal the power to unlock the fairy world. It is a well-known fact in Cork that a secret group of wealthy merchants and law officials called the Friendly Club ran the city. Nobody knew exactly who the members of the Friendly Club were, though everyone thought the mayor, Vizian Pick, was probably a member. The Friendly Club met in a secret location in the city. Wolf told Ronan he had always suspected the keys to the city could be found there. But be warned, Ronan. If you truly have broken through time and entered the past, there is no reason that darker, more sinister fairies might not have followed you. The tale of the Julakon was a frightening one that had been terrorizing the people of Cork City for years. The Julakon was said to be a dark fairy that raced through the land from the churchyard of Raccoonie out to the old Hedekin Sale. It had no face or eyes to call its own, so it would search desperately hunting for the eyes of lost souls. Every midnight it raced through the land from the churchyard of Raccoonie out to the old head of Kinsale. Oh yes, the malicious goblin Dulacon would undoubtedly love to lay his hands on a changeling fairy like you. Don't worry, you can trust me, I'll help you on your passage home. If you find the keys to the city, bring them to me and I will give you the Artesian potion to unlock the doors of St. Finbar's Cathedral. There will be a reward for you too, Ashling, if you help this fairy return home. I always look after my own, isn't that right, my girl? Ashling and Ronan took Wolf's advice and decided to spy on the mare. They made their way through the narrow laneways of Cork City to the mansion house. A merchant sailor was waiting with a carriage and trailer full of turtles. Suddenly the doors of the mansion house burst open and out stumbled the mare, Vizian Pick, to greet the sailor. Pick was a Huguenot merchant from France who had settled in Cork and became mayor in 1779. He was a plump man with a black moustache that curled under his nose. My good man, what is it that you have here for me? Ronan Nashling crouched down behind empty wine barrels outside the mayor's house. These are turtles, my honour. I heard you sent your assistant, Walter Thornhill, to Cove to collect turtles for the mass ball and banquet at the Theatre Royal tonight. Everyone knows how sought after a delicacy turtle soup is these days. I'm sure your guests will be very impressed, my honour. Not only that, but I have good news for you two. I can offer you these turtles for much cheaper than the one in Cove Harbour. Yes, well, I have yet to sample this supposed amazing turtle soup that is proving so popular in London and Paris. My assistant Wani said the turtles in Cove are two pounds each. How much are these ones? I can give you these, my honour, for the amazingly cheap price of ten shillings each. You can't fool me, this is scandalous. You're an imposter of the highest order. I have heard all about the mock turtle soup, and this surely cannot be a turtle if it's only ten shillings. It must be a bird, it's no turtle, it's only a foul mock thing. Away with you, imposter. Doesn't the mayor know what a turtle looks like because they are definitely turtles? What is a turtle anyway, Ronan? I've never heard such a thing. A turtle is a reptile. It is a shell and it lives in hot countries. We learn about them in school. Do you not learn about turtles in your school? Ashling told Ronan how she had only gone to school for a very short while. In fact, she was very lucky to have spent any time at all there. She went to the Greencoat School in Shandon for a couple of months, but her time there didn't last long. She was then employed by Dutch merchants, the Tucky family, to work as a maid. When she was younger, the lady with the lantern, Nano Nagel, had found Ashling sick and begging on Waggers Lane. Nano Nagel was famous throughout the city. 
She was a close friend of the Tuckies and very well respected for looking after the poor and sick, especially children. Nano Nagel had brought Ashling to Skiddy's Arms House in Shandon, a hospital mostly for retired soldiers and Navy men. Ashling had been very sick as a child and spent a great deal of time trying to get better at the Arms House. She was one of the few children there. Every day she would listen to the stories and tales of the retired soldiers and sailors who gathered to talk about their adventures on the high seas and the notorious pirates of the Atlantic Ocean. Her favourite stories were of the infamous female pirate Anne Bonny from Kinsale in Cork. Across the length and breadth of the ocean, all the way from Spain to the Caribbean, Anne Bonny was feared. Ashling would practice her duelling skill for hours on end using discarded walking sticks and crutches. Nothing felt better to Ashling than to grip a crutch like a sword and wave it about like a battle-ready soldier, imagining she was confronting Anne Bonny under the blazing sun of the Caribbean. Ashling enjoyed skiddies and was eager to learn. She was eventually moved into the nearby Greencoat School to sample what a proper education was like, before the Tucky family came along and decided for her that she should spend her life as a maid. Still, adventure was in Ashling's blood, and she longed for the day when she could sneak aboard a Navy ship at Cork Harbour and prove to the world what a great soldier she could be. We're going to try to sneak into the Theatre Royal tonight on the masked ball. Maybe there'll be a meeting of the friendly club there. Well, sneaking into the Theatre Royal won't be easy. We're going to have to figure out a way of getting disguises. Maybe we could try the custom house. Ronan and Ashling made their way along the keys to the custom house, passing the city sheriff home, which was affectionately called the doll's house by locals. When cargo ships dock in Cork City, they have to check in at the custom house. Maybe some of the new ships have old or unwanted petticoats and rags we could use. It looks like City Sheriff Gibbings is heading out for the night too. Maybe he's a friendly club member. Ronan and Ashling made their way to King's Dock in front of the custom house. Ronan was expecting to see what he always saw, Emmett Place and the Crawford Art Gallery. Instead, he was confronted with tall ships docked in the harbour and cranes rising high into the sky pulling cargo onto the dock. Ledgers scurried about recording merchant and trader ship numbers and signage. Ashling approached a ledger who was taking records of new cargo to ask about unwanted clothing. Hello sir, my name is Ashling Murray. I'm a maid for the well-known Tucky merchant family. Miss Tucky owns a perfumery on Faulkner's Lane just across the dock there. I would like to inquire if any old petticoats or garments were discarded by the newly arrived ships today. Miss Tucky wants to try out some new linens for draperies. Well, you're a lucky young girl. A butter ship arrived back from Portugal today and left a pile of damp clothes that smell like old butter over there. Be warned though, they were discarded for a reason. They were left in the stern of the ship for much too long and they smell absolutely foul. Ashling and Ronan approached the grotty pile. It was a challenge to even stand near the stinking smell from the clothes, but they had no choice at this stage. They needed something to wear for the night. Ronan tried as best as he could to find usable wigs, but he had to hold his breath to even pick them up. It was a horrible business, but they had to persevere. Look, it doesn't matter too much what we pick. We can try and wash them in old perfume to get rid of this disgusting smell. Come on. Once they selected their clothes, the pair made their way through what Ronan knew as the Huguenot Quarter and back towards the Tucky family home on Trancis Street. As they made their way through Paul Street, Ashling stopped still in utter shock and horror. Ronan looked ahead of him, but all he could see were the uneven buildings on Castle Street and the Corn Exchange. What's wrong, Ashling? What's happening? Don't move, Ronan. To your right. It's the Julacon. We received a request from Aaliyah to read something from the Warrior series. For the uninitiated, Warriors is a series of 89 books based around the adventures and dramas of feral cats. The series is written by a collective under the pseudonym Aaron Hunter. I'll be reading two short stories today, 
that are additions to the books. The first one is called Spotted Leaf's Honest Answer by Victoria Holmes. Hello? Hi, I'm Spotted Leaf. White Storm said that you were looking for me. Welcome to StarClan, and congratulations on finding your way here. I know it's not easy. Don't worry. You'll be allowed to leave after we've talked. It's not your time to stay, little one. Let's sit down on that patch of moss beneath the willow tree. The sun can grow quite hot here, enough to scorch a dark-colored pelt, but the moss will keep us cool. Are you comfortable? Good. We shouldn't be disturbed here. Most of my clanmates will have found their own sunning spaces by now. So, you'd like to know about Firestar and Sandstorm, would you? Well, Firestar is the leader of ThunderClan, and Sandstorm is his mate. Firestar was born a kitty pet. When he came to the forest, he was called Rusty. Can you believe it? Honestly, Two Legs gives their kitty pets the most ridiculous names. Bluestar found this inquisitive kit wandering at the edge of our territory, and... What, you know this already? So why? Oh, I get it. You want to know what I think of Firestar and Standstorm, don't you? Okay, I'm not going to pretend that I don't know why you're interested. Every cat in StarClan knows how I feel about the ThunderClan leader. But they're too polite to say anything. After all, I'm a medicine cat. We can't have mates or kids. Our role is to care for the whole clan as if each and every cat were our own kin. And of course, I'm in StarClan now, while Firestar is still very much alive, with a few lives yet to lose. He has a mate too, who has given him kits and stayed by his side all through the great journey and never stopped loving him, not even when it looked as if the clans would not survive in their new homes. Perhaps you think I should have gotten over him by now, that I should have given up long ago and accepted that we could only ever be friends. I can tell by the way your eyes narrowed that this is exactly what you think. But, like my clanmates, you're too kind to say anything. Do you think I don't know how hopeless this is? Do you think I still hope that he'll be mine one day? That somehow I'll stop being a medicine cat and Sandstorm will vanish like the dew and every cat will forget that we never have been together? Uh, I'm sorry, you asked an honest question, and it's only fair I should give you an honest answer without clawing your fur off. The truth is, I love Firestar now as much as I ever did, and I'll watch over him forever, knowing that he can never be mine. He belongs to Sandstorm and to the ThunderClan. But my heart is his, and always will be. It wasn't love at first sight, you know. When he first came to the forest, I had been a medicine cat for several seasons, and I loved every part of it from knowing which herbs heal and soothe, to sharing tongues with our warrior ancestors and interpreting omens for the clan. How ironic that one of the last prophecies StarClan sent me, a shooting star that clearly meant only fire can save the clan, foretold Firestar's arrival in the forest. He had saved the clan many times over, and not just his own clan, but all five of them. You know about SkyClan, yes? Those are my warrior ancestors, mine and Tigerstar's because we are descended from the Cloud Star and his mate, Birdflight, who stayed with ThunderClan when her clanmates were driven out of the forest. The fate of the clans was Firestar's destiny, but I was never part of it. At first, he was just another apprentice to me, different in that he had been born a kitty pet, but as curious, bold, and occasionally mouse-brained as the rest of them, I knew Blue Star felt a special connection with him even if it took her a while to recognize that he was the fire that would save the clan. 
It was only when Yellowfang came to ThunderClan that I began to see Firepod differently. He refused to be intimidated by the cranky old she-cat, and he learned to respect her and care for her even when his clanmates couldn't see past the fact that she was born in a shadow clan. Perhaps it was because of Firepaw. Perhaps it was because Firepaw knew what it was like to be on the outside, to have to earn a place in the clan by proving his loyalty over and over. I soon stopped doubting him, that's for sure. I started to watch him more closely, listen to Blue Star's reports of his training, and I talked to him whenever our paths crossed, not just the gossip of clan life, but about things that mattered to both of us like the rising threat of Shadow Clan, or what Star Clan held in store for us. He was kind, brave, and stubbornly loyal to the clan that had taken him in. I saw in him the cat that he was, and I knew how fortunate we were to have him, and also the cat that he would be. He was the fire that would save the clan, and the cat I should never have fallen in love with. When Shadow Clan invaded the ravine and sent me to Star Clan, much, much too soon, I lay in my den for a moon, wishing Firepaw could join me. I should not have died then. Even if I always had to be a medicine cat, cut off from Firepaw in the most meaningful ways, I could have walked beside him as he became a warrior and then deputy and leader. Instead, I was condemned to watch him from far away, not always clearly, like gazing at fish flitting at the bottom of a pool. Sometimes ripples hid him from me, and I would pace Starkland's forest night after night searching for him. When I found him again, things would be different. He would have seen things, done things without me knowing. And it was like meeting a stranger for the first time. But I never stopped watching, never gave up trying to help him. I walked with him in his dreams, shared his fears, guided him with all the knowledge that being in Starkland gave me. I know how much he looked forward to seeing me, how glad he was to have my scent wreath around him and linger on his pelt. Can you imagine how much that hurts to be closer to him now that I am in Starkland than we were when I was alive? After one of those moonless nights, Sandstorm was his mate, and I knew that the invisible river between us had grown too wide to leap across. Did you know that he came looking for me in a dream? sought me out to explain that he had to move on and that he couldn't be in love with a memory anymore? I'm not a memory. I wanted to wail like a kit abandoned by its mother. I am here. I still love you. I will walk beside you forever. But what is it that compared with the warmth that Sandstorm can offer him, the solid presence of a mate to help him lead the clan to give him beautiful children and watch their kin grow up together? I'll still be young when Firestar grows old, but Sandstorm will match him step for step, reflecting his graying fur and slowing paws like a pool of clear water. Does Firestar love Sandstorm? Oh yes. I have no doubt about that. Sandstorm is a good mate to him. Any cat can see how much she loves him, how much she believes in him as a leader of her clan. Their daughters are wonderful cats, and I love them as if they were my own. Leafpool has a special destiny, just like her father did, and it is an honor be able to walk in her dreams and guide her. But sometimes I can't help wishing that I was her mother instead, standing side by side with Firestar to watch her grow. I will do everything I can to make sure no harm comes to her or to her sister, Squirrel Flight, until the time is right for them to join me here. Look, the shadows are lengthening. It's time for you to go. Cherrypaw will show you the border. Cherrypaw, come here, please. Thank you for visiting. I hope I've told you 
what you wanted to hear. And if I haven't, then perhaps it's best to say nothing of our conversation, especially not to Firestar. The truth is, he and Sandstorm are happy, which is all that matters. I could wish and wish for things to be different, but they aren't and never will be. I would not change a single heartbeat of my life, nor all the time since if it meant losing a moment of friendship with Firestar. Now, go well, and may Star Clan walk your path always. Our next short story from the Warrior series is called The Elder's Concern. Lie still, Halftail, or is your nest full of fleas? How can I lie still? Blue Star has made sure I wouldn't be comfortable in a nest of swan's feathers. Halftail stabbed a crackly leaf with his claw and flicked it onto the bare earth. How typical of Dabbletail to be so untroubled by what had happened. Her only worry was when her next piece of fresh kill would be delivered. Pah, as if an apprentice nowadays would be brave enough to fetch swan's feathers, muttered Small Ear. Halftail looked at him indulgently. Small Ear was the oldest of all the elders, and he always had the best stories. I remember when I was an apprentice, we all dared each other to steal from the swan's nest on the edge of the river to line our nests. Boasting again, Small Ear? Dabbletail grumbled. I seem to remember you came back with feathers that looked awfully black to have been from a swan, much like from a crow, in fact. Are we going to get any sleep tonight? A small black and white face popped up from the nest at the edge of the den. No, Patchbelt, we are not, Halftail informed him. We need to talk about what Blue Star did today and how we can best help our clan through these terrible times. Uh, what's that? Came a voice from the narrowest part of the tree trunk that sheltered the elders. It's all right, One-Eye, Dabbletail meowed loudly. Go back to sleep. We'll be here all night if we try to make her here, she added in a whisper to the others. Halftail waited until the other elders had shuffled closer. So, what are we going to do about Fireheart? Patchbelt put his head to one side. I'm not sure we can do anything. Blue Stars made him clan deputy, and she won't change her mind because of it. Smollier grunted as he eased his stiff back legs into a more comfortable position. Well, she should. Does she have cobwebs in her head? The cat's a kitty pet, for Star Clan's sake. What does he know about leading a clan? And he's hardly been here for a half moon, Dabbletail added. This wouldn't have happened in our day, oh no. Halfdale looked at them in exasperation. You don't get it, do you? Even if Fireheart had been born in ThunderClan, he shouldn't have been made deputy. Blue Star didn't appoint him before Moonhigh. The other cats looked at one another, puffing out their top lips anxiously. He's right, meowed Dappletail. Lionheart died yesterday. The new deputy should have been named last night. The warrior code has been broken, Smollier puffed. We're all doomed. StarClan, save me from my denmates, thought Halftail. The warrior code has been broken before, and it would be broken again. This does not need to ruin ThunderClan, but we must prepare ourselves for worse things to come. Bluestar doesn't know what she's doing, Smallier burst out. Just what does she see in this orange kitty pet? Is he the best hunter? No. That young cat Sandstorm could track a beetle in a blizzard. The best fighter? Ha! I'd like to see him take on Tigerclaw. Now there's a real warrior. So what exactly makes him so special? If Bluestar knows... Then she's not telling us, Dappletail meowed. But there must be something. If she thinks he could be her deputy, you could see he wasn't happy about it, Patchtail commented. Any cat would think that he'd been asked to jump into the gorge, not share the leadership of this clan. 
This isn't his clan. Small ears' tail twitched crossly. I'm not even sure it should even be Blue Stars after this. Maybe she appointed him deputy after Moonhigh because she knew Star Clan would object to him anyway? Dappletail suggested. Halftail pricked his ears. If that's true, then it means she has stopped caring what our warrior ancestors think. Why would she do that? ThunderClan is healthy and safe, no less safe than it has been in the past, for sure. Dappletail shuddered. She can't turn her back on StarClan, but she has, meowed Patchpelt in a small voice. Fireheart is not a true deputy. He was appointed too late, and Lionheart's spirit would never have approved. What can we do? Look at us. We're old, deaf, toothless. We needed a warrior to lead our clan, a light that would shine forever for all the moons to come. And Bluestar brought us a kitty pet. I will never give up on my clan, Halftail argued. Star Clan is watching us. If we treat Fireheart like our rightful deputy and give him a chance to learn and succeed, perhaps Star Clan will accept him and forgive Blue Star. Smilier turned away, his joints creaking. I will never forgive Blue Star, he growled. And Fireheart will never be our deputy, not in my eyes. Nor mine, muttered Dappletail. And Patchbelt nodded in agreement. Halftail stared at his denmates in dismay. He had gathered them together to find a solution, a way to rally the clan in spite of Blue Star's strange choice for the new deputy and the warrior code being broken. But all they had done was uncover even greater depths of despair. Was Smalier right? Was ThunderClan doomed? So that's it for this episode, everyone. Uh, really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for tuning in uh, for another Storytime Special Edition of the Department Podcast. If you'd like us to read something, shoot us an email, info at departmentpodcast.ca, or you can connect with us on Twitter, at departmentpod, or send us a personal note. Um, we'll be bringing you more stories next time around. So until next time, uh, stay safe, everyone, and uh, have a good week. And hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.